Hello, welcome to Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about monster design, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. I didn't even realize, but I guess my voice is a little bit out, because it kind of cracked on that. Did you hear? It's like bit. I'm 16 again. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about monster design. Some derbs talk about games. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, we're talking about monster design, mostly kind of as a response to an idea that has cropped up in several of our um in several of our D games right where when uh when i'm gming when mark is gming when our, when our friend nick is gming typically the party is optimized to a place where normal monster design is insufficient right if i throw a cr15 monster at a cr15 party they're just gonna walk all over it you know with like barely any you know um uh difficulty uh and there are a couple of different methods that are usable uh in order to kind of beef up the monsters like beef up the monster design in order to make them kind of more more threatening um but yeah. so yeah yeah i was just gonna say that like even even my party which is much less experienced and much less optimized i have to do a fair amount of pumping up of monsters to make them a challenge uh just because you know the the um, I think Wrath of the Righteous has this pro- the, the the path has this problem in particular, which is the one I've been running recently. But I, I've had this problem everywhere that they it is if you are if you think about how you're designing your character at all, like you, you will be able to to trounce someone of your um of of your challenge rating relatively easily. Yeah, and a part of this I I do think kind of just comes down to like a, a simple Captain Crunch theater kids thing. Um, because in a lot of ways, I think a theater kid approaches the, the design of the world in just like a, in a different way, right? Like a Captain Crunch is, is looking for that optimization because making the system effective, efficient, you know, like optimized is the enjoyment that they get out of it. Uh, whereas a theater kid, I mean, a good example of this is like, um, Warren had a character in a game, a Pathfinder game of mine, a dwarf fighter. And his feat selection was just ridiculous, to put it lightly. Um, and it was because he liked the kind of idea of certain feats from an RP perspective. Uh, so one of them was throw anything, right? Like the ability to, you know, just like throw throw a weapon or whatever. Um, and he comboed that with, I guess, like a disarm, like an improved disarm maneuver, with the idea being that like every once in a while his dwarf um you know disarms somebody picks up their weapon and throws it at them or whatever which is like the least optimized thing ever right um, um i can even... tell i can tell you that there's actually a, a decent build for that because i i have built this character in theory but but you know. <laughs> oh, well okay i mean the, the point is i think that you know he's kind of selecting feats as a as a optimization kind of free exercise right it is about expressing himself through the mechanics right it's about finding the the way that the mechanics help him better conceptualize the character that he has in his head whereas for you know and i do this too quite a bit um you know for a character like kenzo right like i had a really determined feat path because I wanted to get this, like, crazy two-weapon fighting, 
mega AOO build online by level eight, and that was a very optimized build. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Like the, the the build I am talking about um, requires like there's a spot book called the range tactics toolbox. Before that, it was really kind of untenable. They just kind of like built the feats to kind of make that that kind of thing more applicable. So I definitely hear what you're hear what you're saying. Although I I would say that if your character fantasy is something fairly standard, it is really easy to just kind of like trip your way into decent feats, right? Like if you want to be a guy who sings the sword real good, you take the feats that say sword in them and the things that, and you know, like, and the obvious ones like power attack and you've got a pretty decently optimized character without even like thinking about it. Um, so I, I, I think that uh, on balance, uh, especially especially as you get more more splat right like um, in kind of the internet age where like all this all the feats are online um, where so so this is uh, this is gonna sound a little strange but when you were primarily playing out of books I think it was easier to expect players to not have those kind of like these deep reaching feats because they'd just be looking at the core rule book and like the people the, you know the characters who who didn't care like you know the, the theater kitty type when I say don't care, I don't mean that they're not into it. I mean that they don't they don't they don't care to optimize as much. They're not digging through like piles of splats to find the one feat that makes their character great, right? But when you're on the internet, you could just be like, show sword feats, and you know, like slap it into a search bar. It's like here's seven sword feats. It's like oh boy, I get the sword style, right? Like it, it, I think it's just much easier to to optimize in a world where. Uh, basically, the feats are like super indexable and super super searchable, um, and and I think that monster design has not kept up with that. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I guess I feel that. I guess I feel that. Um, I also think that in a couple of other ways um, and places, this sort of thing uh, kind of like crops up in our games uh, specifically. Uh, really, what I'm trying to say is like, you know, the timetables in which we play for something like Hell's Rebels, and because I kind of like keeping sessions to their own self-contained stories, mostly, right? Like, or like one half of a two-parter sort of thing. I don't really do kind of like long dungeon crawls, uh, like across weeks, like week over week sort of thing. Um, we only have three hours to play, right? And that means that a lot of the time we only really have time for one, like, fight. Uh, which means that you're characters just bar none are going to be able to just kind of like walk into any fight and you know have all the resources yeah have all of their resources completely ready to go right like you know there's no reason for for charles to to cast anything besides like you know a fourth fifth sixth level spell because he has all of his spell slots walking into the fight definitionally and so i think that that's also kind of like a piece of it it's like kind of a part of it yeah, no, I, I think that's, you know, part of a recognition that, that adventure design isn't as dungeon-centric as it used to be. Because, um, like, you know, I play I play several in-person games that have, like, the long six- to eight-hour sessions. And, well, I'll do several encounters over the course of them, but a lot of them are across multiple in-game days. And, you know, just kind of like the natural pacing of an adventure leads you to... Two kind of like one fight per day, not for like, you know, like the, you know, uh, a cheesing reason. It's just, just kind of how the story flows. Um, and I, I think that's kind of like a, a, a fundamental piece of the equation that 
Um, adventure like adventures just aren't built to be as many uh, encounters per day as as they used to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think in a lot of ways that is detrimental um, because it's unfortunate um, that the the system is so designed around these kinds of like per day interactions. Yeah. Um, and you see it a lot of the time in, in adventure paths because they put timers on things. Or they may, they say, like, if you retreat and come back, something bad happens. Um, yeah. You know, something along those kinds of lines to keep you in, like, the dungeon and, like, dedicated. Yeah. No, part, of, part of me... Um, part of me wants to believe that, like, one of the solutions to this is, is uh, shift the system to a more per-encounter uh, style system. Um... But, uh, obviously, that's a lot more involved than just kind of making your monsters more difficult, which is what we're going to try and set out here. Um, uh, yeah, so we've talked about kind of why monsters need to be more difficult, but yeah. um, there are a couple of different uh, useful, I guess I would say useful tools, but also a lot of pitfalls to how to make your monsters more difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, th there's there's a couple big big things in here, um, one of which is is action economy, um, where like, I, I think that like if you've got like a, a party, if you've got a standard four man party, the action economy like the the action economy is the one thing you can't solve by giving more numbers to the bad guy because he, uh, the, the, it still only gets one set of actions per round, and at some level. The, play, the players have an inherent advantage for having four actions. And if you have an oversized party, which I think we do in most of our games just because we have enough friends that want to play. Yeah. Um, that can quickly, that can, like, can quickly get out of control. Even even once you hit, like, just five or six players, um, it can be overwhelming. Um, and uh, uh, have, have you done a lot with, with using multiple actions per enemy per round? I know Mark Mark's a fan of it. Yeah, uh, that that is Mark's big thing is he likes to do... Uh, multiple actions per enemy per round. I have I've kind of fallen away from it. I like mooks a lot. A good example of this is in the in the most recent fight you guys had with that dragon. Um, you know, the first half of the fight is the dragon is use is greater invised, flying around, casting big spells at you or whatever. Um, and there are four animated armors that are running around. You know, just kind of wailing on you with like great swords or whatever, long swords. Um, and so that kind of helped keep that fight a little more tense, I think, um, yeah. because it was, you know, there was a lot of damage coming in from multiple sources. There were, there were more, uh, kind of actors in this, in the scene. Um, and now we, tra and now that the animated armors have been defeated and we can transition into a true blue dragon fight, right? Like you guys are all, all already a little roughed up. Do you know what I mean? And so it's yeah. a little, I, and I think that that kind of like helps the, uh, the tension, so to speak. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, especially when you're doing like either a council fight or or an encounter with a lot of uh, minions, uh, or like it's a, a counter encounter that's multiple bodies. Right. I'm um, increasing the number of bodies and kind of increasing their diversity. Like, I feel like there's there, there's a there's a tendency in Adventure Pass to be like, and then there's three of this thing. Um, whereas you could probably you you can make the scenario more interesting and more difficult by making it two of this thing and two of that thing yeah. where the two of this thing is, is, is more of a body and the two of the other thing is like a spellcaster. And so you've got a little bit, you have a little bit more tactics to the fight. 
um, uh, and a little bit more like places where, where positioning is important. Yeah, that's um, one of the things I like about. Um, I've talked about this before. The fourth edition like rolls for monsters. Uh, where like every monster kind of has like a set role type so just at a glance you can tell what that monster's kind of like baseline tactics are right so for instance artillery is the term that they use for you know uh, a monster that wants to keep its range and bombard you with ranged attacks whether those be kind of like spell actions or or you know bows or something kind of along those lines uh there's um I don't think that they're called controllers. I can't remember what they're called. But, you know, there's guys that run around and basically CC, right? Like, they're sort of support um, or whatever, right? They have, a di they have a difference between a couple of different frontliners, right? You have um, brutes who have high health and uh, low AC. And then you have soldiers who have high AC and kind of, like, medium health. Right, you have skirmishers who are very like mobile and can get around um, and like take advantage of like flanking and stuff like that. You have a bunch of different roles that they came up with um, to kind of explain what a monster's tactics are, and I think that's a very effective way to kind of get yourself in a mindset where have where you have multiple monsters in a single kind of in fight fight. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, because one of the big parts of this that gets frustrating when you try when you up the number of things in a in an encounter is it can be tough to kind of like manage because you're managing all of the players right uh, but you're also managing you know the boss you're managing the uh, the different monsters and so the more variety you have there the harder it can be to kind of like parse things out um, but if you have kind of specific roles and like strategies for how for how these individuals kind of like work together um that can be that can be really helpful i think yeah no i i i, I absolutely um agree but i actually don't have a ton of experience in in that system from from the gm side of the table i actually haven't even played a ton of fourie um can can you like are, are there parts of that you that you bring into into Pathfinder games or are so there... yeah so there are other things about 4e that are very cool I like in the monster design for instance they have monsters that are called elites um, which is kind of a little bit of what we're describing like an elite is kind of um, it's just a more powerful monster it is better uh, save DCs um, it has better you know all of its numbers get pumped it's kind of like adding like the advanced template in in Pathfinder um, but uh, but a little bit more than that, like, and it makes it more dangerous. Uh, they also give out action points to monsters as a way to kind of um, give monsters the ability to uh, use additional rounds and solve that action economy problem. They also have solo monsters, which are monsters that are, like, built to be um, kind of dealt with by a whole party. Solo monsters for, for um, most of... 4e are monsters that get a lot of kind of like quote-unquote free actions like maybe you know what i mean like it's a dragon and when you attack the dragon it can like aoo you back or something like that like there's a lot of ways to kind of cheat the action economy they, they also get um you know they also get uh, action points they almost all the dragons have an ability called bloodied breath which says when you become bloodied, you know, less than 15, less than 50 HP as an immediate reaction, the dragon uses its breath attack, whether or not it's been recharged. 
right? So there's like there's things like that that kind of give the dragons uh, and like give these solo monsters like kind of free actions and like free attacks um, to kind of like beef them, like beef them up, uh, yeah, a bit. So I actually want to take this opportunity because because you pointed out something that's 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 neat there um, about kind of like uh, using the, the 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 two turns per turn method. Um, which is which is something that you can find. There's like a there's like a mythic monster, uh, uh template called like ag- or it's like a trait called like agile that lets it basically you take a second turn at your initiative minus ten, um, and I think that that works okay. But the biggest problem is is if you move on both of those turns, it really fucks with players' expectations of how like the battlefield is supposed to work. And can be at least from the others from from the players side of the table, uh, really aggravating actually, um, for yeah for someone to move and then move again before you have a chance to do anything about it because they've gotten they've got two turns, um, and so uh, a pitfall that I, that I would recommend is if you're going to use like the the multiple like kind of like cheat the action economy up, keep all of your movement to one face, um. Uh, I, I don't know, like if if you've got a good uh, a better solution around that, but but that's that's kind of been my impression in, in dealing with these kinds of things. Um, I I relatively agree with that actually. That is the reason that I don't like extra actions on my bosses. And that I think that's the big pitfall with that kind of a solution to this problem. Um, specifically because it really ruins the player's ability to be tactical, right? Like I can't set up a flank for you if the monster goes in between us do you know what i mean um and that's going to be pretty common uh, or you know i move myself such that i'm pretty sure i'm going to be able to get a charge in you know like next round but i can't do that if the monster gets to you know move twice before i go again because that's what it means you know like that's what yeah. it means right like i can kind of account for one monster turn between my turns in a lot of ways but two monster turns is kind of like 4D, 4d chess and it's just tough to get there um so yeah that's the reason i don't like to do um like the extra the extra actions uh thing yeah um uh but um so so something that uh that you do uh that that is is kind of uh i want to say uh What's the word? Uh, just non-standard for for Pathfinder is, is you go to the effort to make these boss fights that have these like um, wow mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at some level, I think that those can be cool. Um, like I I feel like those mechanics tread the line between like feels hokey. Maybe hokey is the wrong word, but feel feel forced. Contrived, I think. Yeah, contrived. The, I I I think back on the uh, like the sh- fight with the shadow dragon you guys yeah. had. I felt like that one was a little contrived. Yeah, I, know, I, with like the lanterns or whatever. I th- I think I'd agree with you on that. Um, but on the other hand, I think that you've done a pretty good job. Otherwise, like the the charging rhinos were a little weird, but they felt about right. Mm-hmm. Um. What goes into your design process for, 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 for those types of encounters? Um, so I'm a big fan of... So there's a certain kind of design theory that says, you know, you need to use the same systems that build characters to build monsters, right? Like, this is like 3.5, sort of, like the design philosophy. Where the... Like, 3.5 is kind of less a game engine and more like a world simulation engine, 
right? And part of that simulation is kind of saying that, like, okay, you know, the process by which monsters and NPCs and classes are all created is so, you know, like, is, is, is functionally similar. And I really don't like that, that approach because from my point of view, right, like, it's like, I don't know, it's like saying, you know, you need to... Uh, it, it, you you need to jump through all these extra hoops and and hope at the end of the day that you have created something that creates a dynamic and engaging encounter for for your party and i don't see any reason why as a gm you should handcuff yourself like that right if the point is you want to make an engaging fight you want to make a fight that that is going to be um like difficult and challenging but also rewarding right and meant to be kind of overcome sort of thing just make that just go right there don't try and like backwards jury rig the game systems in order to hopefully come out with something like that i mean and even then right like three five isn't amazing at this because like what what defines a thing's challenge rating that is insanely unclear right in the three five handbook they literally just kind of say like eh, this is what challenge ratings are about so if it feels like it's about an adult red dragon then it's challenge rating rating is probably 13 who knows like you know what i mean like it's just all guesswork um anyway so i just kind of feel so i just kind of like get right to the point i feel like um and so the big upside for these kind of like wow mechanics is i do think that they are uh kind of like engaging and it forces the players to kind of look at the the surroundings of the fight in a way right like you know making sure you are not in the the path of the rhinos right um or or something kind of like along those lines is a smart way um is a smart way to handle it um uh but i but i also think that it has pitfall i mean mark mark kind of has the appropriate because um, when we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago he said that uh you know the danger with this kind of design is you create a bunch of solved problems for the players um which i do think is bad and i think that that's kind of the reason that the shadow fight didn't really work because there was really no way to beat that dragon. I mean, you could have, but there's really no way to beat that dragon unless you're used to doing the lantern mechanics, right? Um, and so it is less about, you know, players being put in a situation and having to kind of think on their feet and think outside the box in order to solve the problem and much more about, well, you know, obviously Buddy doesn't want us to be making 50% concealment checks against a dragon, you know, for 20 rounds, how you know like how, how how do we bring light back to the fight do you know what i mean yeah um and so and so i think that that's bad and that's the pitfall um and in a lot of ways it's about kind of combining it with other things right like the rhinos were kind of like this environmental hazard um and it was like a constant damage source and if you weren't watching your positioning right or like the positioning of your allies right like i don't think that this ever happened um, but there was kind of like the possibility that one of the, the crucial NPCs that you guys are trying to save, you know, ends her turn in the middle of the path of rhinos and you need to figure out a way to like get her out of it or something. Right. right. Um, and so it's about kind of combining a bunch of these different elements and just kind of saying, you know what? Fucking figure it out. You guys like, um, yeah. And then and the rhino mechanic was, was, was like you said, a lot, a lot more free for, and didn't, it didn't dictate what needed to happen in order for the fight to go forward. It kind of put some other things to consider in there. 
Um, which you can do in a variety. Like, you can even do that by just, like, putting trees in a, like, you know, having it take place in a forest instead of a plank open plane. Yeah. Obviously, that's to a different degree. But but those those things all work. And I think that's definitely the better way to go with it. Um, the only caveat I put to your earlier point about having to, to design monsters different than players is I generally agree with you. But I think you need to be careful when you're designing enemies that are player-like, essentially, you know, like a gang of bandits. Yeah, that's fair, yeah. Because um, if you get too far, like, you don't you don't have to do it, like, you don't have to build them up from scratch or whatever, but if you get too far away from what the players can do, it, one, feels weird, and two, also, it's kind of like, oh, what are they doing? Can I grab that option? Because there's kind of like a like-and-a-like like like expectation uh, there for like kind of like world consistency yeah definitely reasons. i think in a lot of places it's kind of like for instance the chain kineticists that i kind of like a, which are like a you know a custom built hell knight kineticist special variant right like yeah sure hypothetically maybe i could have built that out to be like a whole class or whatever but like none of you guys were kineticists none of you guys had like taken any of that that kind of like kineticist stuff uh, but I definitely do feel kind of what you're like, what you're you're getting at, and I think specifically with spells, this becomes problematic um, because spells there is a very kind of um, there's like an interchangeability to spells, yeah, like an expected interchangeability. So like, yeah, if the wizard is using all of these like crazy, you know, spells or whatever, I used to be much worse about this to be honest with you. If the wizard is using all these like crazy spells or whatever, you can just say, yeah, well, fucking, he researched a new spell. Who cares, right? Um, yeah, but I, what ends up, but like, what ends up happening is now when the wizard finds the guy's spell book and wants to transcribe these spells, you have to, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like that. that well, that's just, a shitty feeling. Yeah, yeah, especially, especially because, like, there are also like mechanics that specifically, like, there, like the 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 Arcana skill is specifically designed, or spellcraft, not Arcana. The spellcraft skill is specifically designed for identifying magical effects. Is like these quantifiable things like the, the the way that Vantine magic kind of works is just kind of like drop spells into these discrete buckets that you expect to be able to to understand one-to-one -one. um and yeah so i i i, I absolutely i uh you know get, get that, that that's absolutely true um although i would point out right like if let's say let's say for just sake of argument fucking beauregard is like those chain things were pretty cool. Maybe I'll multi-class into kineticist and go down that path, right? Like, those mechanics were, were like, solid enough that, you know, maybe it would have taken a little bit of work, but they're definitely, like, something that you could have you could have done and, and, and yeah, brought yeah, out, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, like, for instance, I, I, I kind of expected um, that maybe Enoch would do something like this because I created a special cavalier archetype for Tonric. Um, that I thought maybe Enoch would take. And I actually wrote it all the way out, um, just out of that kind of, like, you know, off chance that maybe Enoch is like, oh, well, maybe I'll take, you know, maybe I'll take levels in, in this thing um, or whatever. But, yeah, I, I, totally, I totally feel that. In a, and in a way, you know, I, I, you can kind of rely on the setting to help dictate these sorts of things, right? Um, the chain kineticist is, like, a specific, like, Hell Knight sort of thing so the odds that anybody was going to pick that up were, were a lot lower than something like, you know, Tonric, who is one of these important kind of heroic NPCs in the, in the, um, on the team that somebody maybe would be like, yeah, like, 
Sure. You know. Also, also like, the, the really big important thing is, like, none of the abilities were so crazy that, like, they seemed implausible. Which yeah. is a weird thing to be saying about a fantasy game, but there's definitely a degree at which point you're like, like, um, the best thing I, example I can use of this is, is Mark's a big fan of third-party stuff, and he pulled, like, a punk rocker class out of, like, uh, uh, Little Red Goblin games. They, they make great, fun stuff, but, like, it's not, it's not, I don't think it's for your typical uh, Pathfinder game. But the, 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 the uh, character could, like, double jump, like, literally in midair. It's just like, what the fuck? Right? Like, uh, and not that it was a, it was a problem per se, right? It's not like it like ruined the game or anything. It's just kind of like, what the hell is happening, and, and why you know, this 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 uh, breaks immersion. I guess is the best way to put it, or uh, breaks suspension of disbelief. Yeah, I definitely feel. I mean, even like the Hell Knight, um, the like the Hell Knight kineticist was using a couple of different abilities that were retooled. Um, whatever the telekineticist. Aether Kineticist or something, right? Like, what, what, whatever the telekinesis version of Kineticist was, um, the the Chain Hell Knight was basically that with a couple of specific abilities, right? He had this ability to do, like, kind of like a chain-binding, hold-you-in-place move, right? Which was, that was made up. But basically, everything else was just reskinned versions of the Aether Kineticist, like, Kineticist right, Blast, right? right? Like, because the thing was... He sends out chains, picks up a crate, and throws it at you for 3d6 damage or whatever the number is, right? But that's just that's just literally one-to-one the, the Aether Kineticist class with yeah. chains on top, you know? So I think that there's a certain amount of kind of, like, flavor that kind of can 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 paste over this stuff, um, yeah. you know, uh, and, and part of And part of that is, is also just, like, matching mechanics correctly, right? Like, um... Like, if you're going to do something, like, you, you bind someone, it's probably either, like, a reflex save or, or like, a CM, CMB versus CMD check. And that feels right, right? Like, if you were, like, and now make a will save for this chain that is physically wrapped around you, you'd be like, eh, I don't know about that, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also a big fan of kind of, like, putting hints in there. I mean, like, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but not much of one. Um, so that ability that... Revazare used against you guys where he made you all bleed from your ears is specifically an ability that was imparted to him from years of torture at the hand of chitons which are like the torture devils or whatever um because there's a special template called like chiton apotheosis or whatever where like you get tortured by chitons so much that you basically become one sort of thing okay. um and i basically pulled from you know like and i basically pulled from that and said you know, this is a guy who has been tortured for, you know, half a century by this specific kind of devil. So he's picked up a few of their tricks, right? Um, and that, and so, and so, like, that's part of kind of him. And I think that that's part, that's actually pretty crucial. Like, we've come back to this debate about the Cygor a couple of times. Like, the Cygor throwing the thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, or whatever. Um, and, like, the end result of that being that probably there should have been some in-universe indication to kind of foreshadow that, right? Like, I feel as though that's kind of an a more important piece um, to, to the puzzle to make things not feel unfair, specifically in the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you can kind of, like, if you can seed players with small bits of information that you can then call back on, it feels a lot fairer to be like, well, if you remember, one of the theories about what happened to Rivazair is that he was captured by Thrun and tortured for a long time, right? Um, and so, that, I think that makes it go, go a little bit, 
it, it makes it go down a little bit easier. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm absolutely in agreement with you. 100% there. Um, and I also think that, you know, when it comes to um, specifically, you know, Pathfinder and the ability to make cool and interesting monsters, this is something that I think I wasn't really engaging with a lot at, at like, the beginning of Hell's Rebels, but I, over time I've been better about it, where I'm looking at Pathfinder mechanics that are real more as, like, inspiration, because it's not quite the same thing as this apostle that's, like, chitin apotheosis right. or whatever right but it is like similar because you know it just kind of fits and so i do spend a, like a lot more time these days kind of looking through like templates and stuff like that um kind of for like inspiration for how to kind of spice up monsters um and, and encounters in interesting ways um then you where, where i used to just kind of make it up out of whole um, cloth out of, yeah. out of whole cloth i mean a lot of the times there i had an idea like, even before the encounter at all, in, in a way, it's sort of, the, I guess my decision-making process is flopped, right? Where typically, in the early days, I knew what I wanted to accomplish, and so I just built the mechanics out from that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I knew you guys were going to get attacked by a bunch of Hell Knights in a cemetery, right? And I wanted some long-range Hell Knights, which were these chain kineticists, and some short-range Hell Knights, um... Which I guess ended up being like anti-paladins or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, and so yeah, and so there were, and so the mechanics of the chain kineticist came out of kind of the the story setup, right? Uh, whereas for Revisere, I was like, okay, well, I know they're fighting a blue dragon, right? And I need to buff up the blue dragon because otherwise they're going to like completely wreck it. How can I adopt? Um, how can I adopt things? into this fight to make him harder and the answer was give him a bunch of class levels uh so that he'd be a competent spellcaster um and give him um uh and give him this this up uh, this like kite these chitin abilities so that he can kind of do like aoe non-lethal damage in this like invisibility phase though the the animated armors thing was that was just like, I need good mooks. He's by this thing, the Singularity, and the Singularity allows him to do this, like, super crazy, you know, fucking super crazy spell um, that would otherwise take a billion years or something like that. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, no, that, 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 makes, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, kind of bringing it back in a little bit. Um, because we t we've we've talked like action economy grew out into this whole nice discussion. I want to talk a little bit about a little bit other things that you that you can do and that you need to be careful about. Um, one of the things that I that I think you kind of universally have to do is, is Pathfinder can get a little bit of rocket tacky, especially a little bit later, as so you you generally need to increase the health of your of your enemies. Um, uh, some people like I I know Nick tends to just like flat out maximize it. I feel like. Adding like twenty five to fifty percent on top of maximized is about the right place to go. Um, I wow. have had um, I I have uh, in the like I I tried once just like on a boss monster I just threw like um, a ton of health on it right like this was an inspiration I took from something I read once about the Warcraft RPG where like elites got like plus five hundred health or something, um, but uh, um, I tried something like that. 
and basically what it was is the fight went on for six rounds longer than it needed to be if them just like circle around the monster like beating on it in a circle and it was very uninspired and it dragged out too much yeah uh, uh i did this exact same thing in a fourth edition game that i was running and it was painfully painfully unfun i felt like because we you, we just it was just a brick wall at that point you yeah know what i mean um so i i think a big part of it is is, is like hitting that that kind of like uh that, that balance point correctly um about how do, do you um first of all are you running anything as written out of out of health rebels at this point are you are you ready for this i mean uh, so i actually don't modify health totals very often really most of the time i'm running um i am running kind of by the book health totals uh, a lot of the time this is because i'm using templates judiciously like i bet you guys are above in cr quite a bit and so you could make the case that um like, I'm adding a lot of templates to shit, which increases health or increases HD, right? Um, okay. gets a bunch of extra HP because he gets these wizard class levels or sorcerer class levels, whichever one, um, for instance. So, there are – so, in 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 effect, I am I am giving them more health. Um, but most of the time, it's not by much, and I definitely don't do any of that, that kind of, like, maximizing stuff. Um, especially because if you think about the Rivazir fight as, like, a health total – thing right you have a bunch of animated armors that are adding a hundred you know animated armors are just a reskin they're they're like another they're basically like a ninth level fighter npc that has just been the fighter aspect of it has been taken out and i and made up that blow up mechanic and they also get these ranged arcane blasts that i think they use like once or twice or whatever um but like at the end of the day you know what i mean like if that is just a reskinned npc with you know with like a hundred ish health I think it was like 80 health or something like that and so when you put four of those and a dragon that has extra class levels um and it pumps its hp by like i don't know i don't remember how much but a, but a, you know a fair amount um that is that is pumping the h the effective hp of the encounter by a whole bunch right, right, right. yeah um, but i don't like uh i don't like kind of flat increases to um to health typically um most of the time it's class levels. Most of the time I'll give things like class levels or like add templates on shit to make it tougher or like bigger. I use the advanced template pretty judiciously just because it's easy, you know, in your head to just like kind of like bump, 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 you know, health AC, attacks, damage, pretty simple. Um, so, so yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I try and keep health totals uh, low. I actually like ra raising ACs more than I like r health totals because... You know, like the infective AC of, um, you know, making something harder to hit, I think is more satisfying. Yeah, uh, n not only that, but like, I feel like there's, if you are having trouble hitting something, there's better ways to play around that, right? Like, if you, yeah. can't, if you can't hit something, like the very basic thing is you can aid another, right? And give them a plus two in attack, and maybe that's enough to push them over. Whereas... Like more health just means you have to like plow through more health at some level, um, and there's not there's not like a way to like, you know, if you could just like do more damage, then you'd be doing that every round anyway. Um, although I do think there's a balance, right? Like you can definitely like I think this is actually like kind of a, a hard thing to 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 get at is, is is this is this is a it's kind of separate topic, but making something like power attack a real choice rather than a thing you do every time. Yeah. Um. Uh, is I think uh, a a part of it, right? Is like, 
um, wanting to, wanting the fight to be a little bit more tactical. And I think that the the toolbox in PF as it is isn't uh, quite there yet. So I think the AC is definitely a better lever to to kind of push on that because you can uh, you can you can I, I think it encourages tactics in a way that that the health the health increase doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am I am. I'm always looking for, for good ways to do that kind of thing, right? I mean, in a way, like, that's kind of what the greater invisibility in that fight was about. It was focusing your guys' damage dealt into the um, into the armors first. And, because, you know, it's a 50% concealment or whatever, so really only Charles could damage it with AoE, right? right like, right. if he's blowing up fireballs in midair... Um, to try and to try and like catch the dragon or whatever so you can also kind of like you know th there are just small tactical things i feel like that are that are really useful to being able to kind of um uh i don't know making making things like that work i also think full attacks are insanely powerful and so pumping ac to make the lower end of full attacks un uh like inefficient is is typically a, a pretty good idea do you know what i mean like i think if i think if rakax i mean in, in a fight where rakax marigrug well marigrug doesn't quite full attack but in a fight where macax marigrug and weirin are all sitting on a you know on a monster and full attacking it every round um it is going to insanely dps that thing down right this is actually i built that puzzle in the in the dungeon right in the dungeon with all the puzzles in there that puzzle was about this phenomenon um which puzzle the the one where you guys had to do 100 damage in in a round um, oh okay to the to the marble statue because every round the statue would regenerate itself um and so you had to you and it had a bunch of dr it had like dr 10 or something like that right so you had to just sit there and roll hard to dps this thing right um and i i gave it like 200 health and even in my test scenarios where i kind of just like looked at your character sheets and rolled some die to see how quickly you guys did damage to it um i underestimated the amount of damage you guys could do by just sitting there and fucking full attacking this thing do you know what i mean yeah um so yeah, I think I think that's kind of like a piece of it, and I also think that there's a piece of it that's like you know uh, th th this is the kind of one save should be good, one save should be bad, one save should be middle of the road kind of logic to to monster design where you kind of like are pinpointing weaknesses or whatever. Um, there's a certain amount of like flat-footed AC is a weakness of this monster, touch AC is a weakness of this monster, you know, kind of like finagling that you can do with it as well. Yeah, um, the only thing I'd say there is 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 uh, is to be is again be careful because if given that like the 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 uh, the iteratives are kind of like the thing that the the full BAB classes get as one of their um, as one of their kind of like bonuses. If you make if if you strip too much of that off, I think you could if can feel like you're you're uh, screwing with them. Uh, like, like to to a to a greater degree than than with like say a caster class, mm. um, but you know I don't think it's unsurmountable. I just think it's something you have to be careful about if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Um, I'm trying to think, what are what are other big? Uh, I think I think one of the worst ways to um, deal with 
the prob the, the monster problems, it's adding more bodies on on the floor. Really? Um, of normal fights. Yeah. Like if you have a normal fight which which is like, you know, two Duragars or something like that. Like two Duragars and a fire elemental, and then you go, Well, I'm just gonna add in four, two more Duragars. Um I think that is a bad way of doing it because it like overloads the action economy and you can get in some really tight spots. Um, huh. Interesting. See, because I've always felt that like, like, I, I guess it depends on, on how much of a percentage it is, right? Because like, three characters to to five is like almost a fifty percent increase. Okay, or, that's fair. Know, yeah, I, 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 in a, it's over sixty fifty percent increase. In a way, in a way, I guess for really what I want to say is the Durgar example is bad, but something like in a room of five orcs and then it becomes eight orcs that is all of us the the difference between five and eight even the difference between five and seven is like really deceptive um because i think it's okay i think in a lot of ways the action economy is built for characters to go kind of one-to-one -one with normal monsters right so yeah. you know if you have a four-person party right you have um four monsters sort of thing that's 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 pretty fair four npcs um, if you're, you know, building out like NPCs with class levels kind of thing that, you know, like that, 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 that tax to me, um, when it gets, when it, but like d when you over num overpower the party, I think that's when you get into like dangerous, um, dangerous territory. And I typically, you know, I am a bigger fan of, um, kind of supercharging one or two of the, of the monsters. A lot of the time I create a named NPC for it. Um, to kind of like draw the attention, um, you know, like, or like, do you guys remember that like Bulit fight or whatever, where it was a couple of Hell Knights and then there was like the big Bulit that you were trying to kill and it was in the, these plates in a sinkhole? Yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like that. Like, there was, you know, in my head, the original conception of that fight was just kind of three Hell Knights and the Bulit is running around and, and doing crazy things or whatever. Um, but I eventually kind of was like, I think that they're going to chew through these Hell Knights. So instead of adding more Hell Knights, I just took one of them and I said, well, now you're an NPC, right? And I gave her a name and she got like a special axe or something, like a special battle axe with a bunch of enchantments and shit um, to like make her more threatening and dangerous. Um, I think with NPCs specifically, magic items are a really unused but very helpful way to kind of get them on their feet. Um, in terms of being more threatening, right? You just kind of say, oh, well, all of a sudden you have a fucking, you know, I guess in like, it sucks because the, the, the weird thing about magic items is you can loot them afterwards. Um, right. And so there's a certain temptation to be like, you get a belt of giant strength plus six, right? And now you're way stronger or whatever, right? But the belts of giant strength plus six don't exist in the context of our campaign because we're using attunement or whatever so a lot of the time you know you just kind of have to like tool around until you find like a sp uh, like one of those specific magic items that you know the party isn't really going to be able to use but like you'll be able to sell or whatever right like that great axe was something that i can't remember i think it was like unholy or something so it did a bunch of damage to like good creatures and it's like you guys are going to fucking use an unholy axe like you know what i mean <laughs> like so that kind of thing i think is, is is another like helpful way to get around there See, so, so this is interesting because I've, I've found pretty good success is um, Rouse of Righteous has a lot of demons. And so um, in times where it's like, and then there are three pow bows, right? Um, I'll be like, well, instead of that, maybe it's like two or three bow bows. And then um, I'm not going to, I can't remember. The, they're, they're these little demons. They're like, like little, 
like cloven hoofed goat demons. Um, they give it the B. I can't remember them. Brimorax, Brimorax, and they throw fireballs. But they're much more like the the Balvaos are much more frontline fighters. The Brimorax are more backline fighters. And so mixing that up, I've I found great success in kind of like increasing the the challenge without. Um, I, I think you're right, right? Like if I taking the three bow bows and making it six bow bows is not a great design, but um, but throwing in some kind of like uh some variety in there, I think is 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 a good way to deal. You know, with that's it. actually very interesting because a lot of the time I've tried that before, where where I kind of flood the map with a bunch of low level shit. You know what I mean? In the in the uh, in the hope that you guys will AOE it down or something kind of along those lines. Uh, but I find that you either there's I I maybe it's just a tuning thing. You either end up in a situation where the wizard casts fireball, all of them die, right? This kind of happened in our beastman fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they, they all die once. So, um, I, which I think was, it, by the way, I mean that was probably, the, I mean the best example of me going against that grain. But even then, the point was that Alaric fireballs down these right. big hordes of beastmen or whatever, and you guys had a bunch of extra bodies on the ground so that the action economy wasn't completely like fucked yeah and, and i think if you if you flood the map with low level creatures i think that is a real danger but the like just to go back to this example the brimoraks aren't that much weaker than the bow bows but they're a different style of fighter right like they're a, they are long-range casters um uh. and so i think i think you're absolutely right i think i think you know doing a lot of little creatures isn't, isn't a great way to do it but like mixing up the composition i think can be powerful yeah, I think mixing up the composition is always... I don't know how... I'm trying to think. Um... Something else that I do want to point out just before we get too far away from it is that if you are, your party is outsized from what you ex like from what the path expects it to be, I think you should be increasing bodies to like that kind of... Like, you know, let's say it's a pack of four orcs and it's meant to be fought by a four-person party. If your party has five or six people in it, make it five or six orcs in yeah, addition yeah. to what you're also doing, right? Like, like that, that's just kind of an important thing to, I think, to put out there is, like, you want the bodies to, like, be, be cognizant of, 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 of the kind of differences of your party to what, what it was written to expected-wise. Um, but anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, I also think that you could probably get away with it. Um, by making kind of differently, I've been I've been thinking about this a lot more. Where like the the kind of basics of a fight being just kill the bad guy can get a little stale, and a lot of the times you can get um, you can get better results. I guess I think of um, uh, the Rhino fight as doing this to a certain extent. You, you can get better results by shifting away the win condition of any individual encounter from just kill everyone on the other side of the, the field. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so, like, maybe you could actually get away with some of this stuff if the, you know, if the goal is something like, I don't know, you know, you walk into a room and you have the golden idol and you have to place the golden idol on the altar and the altar is 120 feet across the room. Inside of the room is you know, 50, you know, like, like m normally powered kind of monsters or whatever. But the end goal is you place the idol on the altar. It destroys all the fucking like mummies or whatever. Right. So like you can play with that sort of difficulty 
by shifting up the kind of wind condition. And one of the things you can do with the bow bows, right, is like, okay, so there are bow bows, and then there are like six of these other guys. But as soon as the bow bows are down, those guys flee. Or something kind of along those lines, right? So um, you can kind of get to, uh, you, can, you can kind of win the encounter, you can defeat the encounter by... Um, by utilizing uh, mechanics outside of just a kill-kill perspective. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think it's important, too, that, like, if you're going to goof, go for something like that, when, if one of your players rolls for knowledge, whatever, be like, oh, they're kind of skitterish and tend to disperse if their leader's killed or something like that. That way you, you, you telegraph that to your, to your players in some way. Um uh, this is actually kind of interesting because I, I just thought of so something that is a very demonic kind of mechanic is almost all of them have like um, they can spend a full round and try and like summon other demons. Uh, so like and it usually has a percentage fail chance with it. Um, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about it because the way the way I the way I play it is um, I generally have them all try and summon their 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 uh, extra creatures on the first round. So I kind of reliably get like whatever percentage the summon that summon is extra creatures in. Um, but I like the creatures that were summoned. I don't allow to like, I don't have them try and summon additional creatures. That way you can't fucking snowball out of control. Um, um, and I've had moderate success with that. Um, but I also th like, I, I think that's like a, a hard mechanic to, to, to tune, if that makes sense, especially because it's so random. Um, have, have you ever tried to, to, to deal with that? Um, yeah. Uh, but it's, well, so I haven't, ha I've had to deal with that as a player. Uh, I had a friend and we were just playing D&D. &D, like it was one of the first couple of times we played D&D &D, and we were all like level one. And it was a group of two goblins, right? Um, and the there was like a, I mean, this this is like in high school, and it wasn't well thought out. But it was something like, if a goblin was wounded but not killed, it would spawn an additional goblin at the end of its turn, right? Um, and so there was this like weird spawning mechanic, but we did, we had no way of knowing that that was the mechanic, right? So I was playing like a druid, and we de we dealt damage to both of them, and they spawned two new goblins, right? And then we killed one of the goblins and dealt damage to a third goblin. They spawned two new goblins, and eventually the goblins just kept replicating until the point where we were overwhelmed and we all died. We TPK'd on our very first thing because like none of us knew what we were doing, right? Like it was one of the first games we had ever fucking like played or whatever. I remember being very mad. Hey, Jake, vote if you're listening to this. I'm really sorry, dude, because I got really mad at you about this <laughs> um but uh but so i have always felt that those kinds of i don't do summonings i mean even devils have like an ability to do that some of the time right but i absolutely never use it because i always feel like it's it's gross and bad and not fun um maybe if i was playing like a, a like a like a dedicated kind of like summoning um sort of like boss or something along those lines right like a druid who's using um, summon nature's ally or cleric that's like using like the summon outsider sort of thing. Um, I would feel a little bit better about it, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, do I really hate those kinds of mechanics. I felt, I felt like, um, I, I, I feel like, I feel like it can work if you, you kind of like, you, you have to design the encounter knowing that there might be another couple bodies in the fight. Um, and, and I think, I think it can, and like you, you kind of expect like to hit like the percentage mark, right? Like that you get 50% of your summons. Um, and I think it's okay to leave like, 
you know, if you get like four bows instead of two, it's okay. I also think it's it's part like prepping, right? Like, I think if you spring that on a team, on, a, on a, like a group of players that doesn't know that the demons summon all the time, it's much worse. Like, I'm pretty sure my players all know that like demons summon other demons, and that's a thing you need to make sure you deal with or or you know anticipate if if uh, if that comes down the pike. So, um, I don't know. You, you just kind of semi relatedly, you get you get these weird corner problems when you have a campaign that is like 90% one type of monster, right? Like, you know, demon pain, anything is incredibly good in wrath of the righteous. Um, it's, it, and it, it screws with things in, in, in weird ways. Um, I've talked about why I think this is bad design on the ranger, um, before, but it, it, just, it just has this, these kind of like weird, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's stuff like Bane. I, I actually feel bad because I probably should have done this way earlier. Um, I probably should have included, like, a Beastman Bane or something along those lines. Uh, like, weapon for Weirin. Um, I think in a, in a game like Hell's Rebels where you can kind of... The guarantee is the wrong word, but, like, where you can quote-unquote guarantee that some of the time this will be effective, but some of the time it won't be, um, would have been... Uh, would have been like the right call because not like the you know devils people and beastmen were kind of all sharing the spotlight you know and there was definitely like recurring things where you got you guys fought beastmen a bunch of different times um and i could have done something where you know i gave somebody that like that beastman uh like a like a beastman bane glaive or something like that so that like it turns on in the appropriate situation uh but in a but in a in a campaign that is focused around that thing like i'm sure the giant spain or something is super crazy and giant slayer do you know yeah yeah so yeah um yeah and uh there's also like uh there's i know there's dragons in that campaign too but you know like it's uh it, it's 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 a weird corner of, of design. Uh, I don't know. I I th I think I think we I think we could go deep into kind of like specialized weapons and ha and like how, how that like screws with balance. I'll, like in, in maybe in a, di a different point, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, just I mean, really, at the end of the day, I guess my sum up my recommendation for people um is make uh make dynamic mechanics right um use templates and like class levels ju sort of like judiciously i guess i use templates all the time because they're really just they're just a really effective way to get this sort of thing done um and uh i don't know i don't know that's kind of it i guess i also like items i use items to beef up encounters too so that too okay you know that, that makes sense that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, yeah. Um, those are our tips for beefing up monsters. <laughs> um. Uh, but yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think I have anything else on on the subject. Do you, do you? I have you know nothing else that I'm looking to uh, to say about it. I guess. Um, um, we're not yet, yet buddy. We're, 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 I, sh shut up, Mango. You, you don't know me. You don't know me, Mango. Um, uh, but yeah, um, did you? Did we? We didn't play Hell's Rebels this week because of basketball. Um, uh, 
by the time this goes up, hopefully the Golden State Warriors will have won, and I won't have to hear about basketball anymore. Um, but it's possible that there. Um, we should do we should do an episode on like the game design of like basketball uh, or like sports. football or something. You know, honestly, I've wanted to do like a rant about why um uh the the fucking Harry Potter's for Quidditch. Why Quidditch is a terrible game. Um. Which basically comes down to 90% of the game doesn't matter. It's catch the tiny flying ball. Um, and that's like the entire game. But, you know, we, we that that's uh, maybe a discussion for, for a different time. We should do a sports breakdown episode. That, that would be that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I, I mean, because I, 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 I feel what you're getting at with the Harry Potter example. Because, yeah, I guess getting the snitch is just the most important thing you can do. N- not only that, but in-universe, right? There is one game historically and one game that happens, quote, you know, on screen in the books where the snitch didn't win the game. Two. Two over, like, the fucking, you know, like, years of history of this sport. Like, uh, um, so much so that, like, in, in Muggle Quidditch, uh, that the snitch is, instead of worth 150 points, it's worth 30. Um, uh, what's, and, like... I have my own rant about Muggle which is Quidditch. what, which is three, three points, three, three, three goals. Th- yeah, three goals. Goals are okay. ten points apiece. I have my own rant about why, how like Muggle Quidditch is also like unnecessarily stupid. Um, like you could make a real neat sport out of Muggle Quidditch if you didn't have people like running around with fucking brooms between their legs the whole time. You just like take the brooms away and just make it people running at each other, and it'd probably be a pretty fun sport. I'm I'm getting too far down this rabbit hole. I, I <laughs> I'm, I'm interested because I don't know all that much about you know like Mongo. What what do they do for like beaters and bludgers? Um, you throw deflate. So this is this is really. Fu- I I had a friend um who, who played. Uh, he used to play football and he had to quit. Quit at Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. We, we yeah. Had- I know. I mean, my my old roommate Shelby worked at uh, or like made the Quidditch club or something. Okay. Like okay. Yeah. Or um, something. Uh, my, my, my friend, uh, David, uh, was, was like a high school football player and like played a season or two of Quidditch and was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, and it's not as because the, the beaters throw deflated kickballs at, at players. And then if you get hit, you have to go run around your goalpost, uh, which makes sense. But it's like it's like a full contact sport. Like there's like there's not a lot that's prohibited. So my, my friend was telling me that like you get nerds who don't know what the fuck they're doing. Just like straight up spe- like the um the the. They're the normal players, the chasers, I think they're called, um, like the, the ones that like that, that that throw the the fucking ball through the hoops. Like they'll apparently just like run up and fucking spear like other other chasers right like, right in the fucking chest because who the fuck cares? Um, and you know, like my, my friend, like, like I said, my friend who was like a, a linesman in high school football was like, I ca- I can't, I can't, I can't play this anymore. I'm going to fucking hurt myself. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um because it's not played with, like, any pads or anything, either. Right, right, right. Um, and, again, you've got, you're have got you running around with a fucking broomstick between your legs. Like, um, but, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, it's, <sighs> there's a whole thing there that we, that, like, I, like I said, we, we, we could get into that at, at, at some point. I, I do think, like, a Sports Breakdown episode would be neat. So, look forward to that coming at some point. Um, how, how has your Starfinder game been going? Uh, we have not played in a long time okay. because Nick has been like insanely busy with work, so we just haven't we haven't gotten together. No. Uh, so we we've we've been slowly catching up, and I've I've been enjoying it. Um, although I do feel like I feel like I don't have like enough to do on the battlefield. If that makes sense, like I feel like most of what I do is just attack. 
um, as, uh, as, as, uh, a, you know, an, an engineer and like, you know, sometimes they'll lob grenades and throw it. Sometimes they like activate a power, but I, I feel like there's not like a, a ton of variety from what, for, uh, uh, in what I'm doing. And, and this seems to be kind of consistent, right? Like the, uh, the operative character, um, the friend of the show, Alexio, um, he all literally every turn he just, he does, he does the operative attack. Cause that's like the best bank for his buck dice wise. Um, and it, and it feels like there's not a ton of variety in, in, in kind of like, like these, there's do you, guys have, do you guys have a caster in your group? Um, no, because Warren had to drop. Yeah. We don't have a caster in our group either. So I think that makes a pretty big difference. Um, we are just kind of, I do feel that. And I definitely feel that for me where I'm basically just sitting and attacking and sitting and attacking and sitting and attacking. Um, but I also think that I am the, um, that that's kind of okay for me. I see Charles as a Solarian um, and, uh, you know, Josh is playing an operative. Um, and they're doing kind of more detailed or complex things with their rounds um, in a way that I'm not. Uh, and I think that's mostly because a lot of my powers and abilities are geared towards I mean, if we were using 2E terminology, we would call this, like, the exploration phase, right? Like, I'm doing all these engineering checks to hack computers and shit like that and, like, disable, you know, alarms or security guards. And I'm using my drone to kind of explore the map as a scout before we actually do stuff by sneaking into air vents, you know. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And I feel like, at the end of the day, you know, like, my character is not an engaging character for combat. He just kind of picks up the biggest gun he has and shoots it. Um, but... Um, uh, I am I uh, the I I am a dynamic character when it comes to that sort of like exploration phase of the game. Um, the other thing I'll say about it is um, the different weapons have changed my outlook quite a bit because I am trying to do stuff like you know like I'm upgrading weapons pretty commonly. I feel like, um, but like I picked up a line gun and all of a sudden now I'm trying to make moves that are setting up. Um, line shots so that i'm hitting more than one guy right um or or something kind of along those lines i picked up a boost gun so you know i can take my move action to add an extra d6 of damage to to the weapon and stuff like that so like some of the weapons have caused me to to switch things up also i picked up a jetpack that i've only had for like a session or two um and the jetpack has changed my movement dynamics quite a bit because of uh because of that but i definitely do feel what you're getting at um and um yeah yep that's yep i feel that yeah i i think that um i think that part of it for us at least is that we've been in the jungle for a little while um and i think we just don't have the diversity of equipment yet to kind of like realize that dream um yeah. uh, and so i think once we once we get a little bit more equipment it'll be able you'll be able to like do more more fun stuff um in, in the general. Yeah, I guess that's when I really took off. I mean, we're level seven now, but when when we got the equipment, that's when things really like took off mm. um, in a real, real strong way. Yeah, no, no that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to playing more of it. Um, it's kind. Of, I'm kind of sad um, that we're gonna like you know we've got a year of Starfinder. And we're like launching straight into two E, which you know I'm feeling like she's gonna completely. It's like, oh, Starfinder was cool for a bit. Um, I don't know. I, f I feel like they they should have put a little bit more distance in there. Not that I'm unhappy that we're getting two E, but uh, I feel like they they're really cannibalizing themselves with it. Uh, Do you think so? Just because like 
it's not a pure sci-fi game, right? It's a sci-fi fantasy game, and uh, I think it's gonna it's gonna like pull a lot, like it's gonna take up a lot of the the, the same space. Um, I think if it were a harder sci-fi game, that it, it might stand a chance of being a, a little bit more well tuned. Also, because of this, the systems are so close, and Tui looks like it's another iteration on top of kind of the improvements we got in Starfinder. Um. Uh. Interesting. That is interesting, and I don't know how I feel about it. Because in one sense, I actually kind of want to give Starfinder a little room to breathe, so I like the idea that uh, Tui takes the focus away, and we kind of get more supplemental stuff. You know what I mean? And I almost like it's almost like kind of coming back to a game after they've released some DLC. You know what I mean? Um, where I'm, I'm interested in the, you know, in like, in a way, I'm almost interested in coming back to Starfinder next year, um, and seeing what it looks like now that they've added like two or three more splat books or something. Like sure, that. That, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I, I buy that. Um, but, uh, but I do, I do kind of get what you mean. I mean, one of the things I, I also feel like we have to get two E specifically because the more I play Starfinder, the more clunky Pathfinder always feels to me. Um, like, just stuff like item levels, man. Holy shit. Item levels are such a good system. It's insane. I am so jealous of, of all the Starfinder GMs out there. They get to GM with item levels. And I'm stuck, like, looking through, like, lesser, medium magic items to try and keep things, like, relatively on point with wealth by level or whatever. Ugh. No, that's, that's, that's fair. I, I feel that. Um... I definitely feel that. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, what what uh, what games have you been playing this week? Uh, I've been playing a ton of Total War. Uh, so new DLC pack came out for Total War Warhammer, the big one, the big big one uh, that I've talked about a couple of times. Like they had a hard time integrating Norska because of some of the very like back endy kind of system architecture stuff. Um, that they did in making uh, Total War Warhammer 2, right? Uh, and they basically said they, they're going to... They, what they basically had to do was recode the DLC. They, they already had, like, the textures and stuff and, like, the numbers and stuff like that. But they had to, like, put it into the game manually. They couldn't kind of adopt it into the game um, through the Warhammer 1 uh, sort of merging of builds. Um, and so they have accomplished that with the May update, and the May update has everything. It's called the Resurgent update. Um, it has <clears throat> regiments of renown that were previously locked. Um, it has, um, you know, it has. Uh, it just it it has uh, some updates to the dwarves uh, that you might like. They gave the dwarves a different starting location for Ungrim Iron Fist. When you played, you played dwarves, right? Yeah, a little bit of dwarves, a little bit of greenskins. Did you play? Did you play Ungrim or did you play Thorgrim? Uh, which which ones? Which? Uh, Ungrim is the Mohawk Slayer King. Uh, I think I played the the other one, not okay. the Slayer. Yeah, so they moved Ungrim Iron Fist, who is the Slayer King, north to Karak Kadrin rather than the the default starting location at Karaza Karak. Um, and, uh, and so I've been playing, like, an Ungrim Iron Fist game. They also added a unit of Giant Slayers, um, which are more advanced uh, Slayers that have armor-piercing weapons. Um, <clears throat> and it's just, I don't know, it's just, like, a, it's a whole lot of fun. They also released, um, in their sort of combination, um, uh, they released a set of 
free LC uh, called uh, something, but they that released a new high elf lord named Alithanar, who is the Shadow King. And Alithanar, and like if you know Total War lore, right? Um, the Malakith disobeyed the Phoenix King, you know, like the will of the Phoenix King or whatever to try and like usurp his like brother or something for the throne. Um, and so he was immolated and burned alive. Um, but he survived, and so he and a whole bunch of his, like, shitty elf followers left to the, what is essentially kind of North America. It's called Nagarond. Um, <clears throat> they left, and they went to Nagarond, and they took over Nagarond. Alithanar is the descendant of um, the high elves who previously possessed Nagarond. Um, and so he's called, like, the Shadow King, and his whole thing is just, like, vengeance against the fucking Druki. And so he, his... His whole deal is about uh, taking back Nagarond from um, from the Dark Elves. But the interesting thing about Alithanar is that he doesn't have climate suitability for Ulthuan. So you can't go home or even, like, confederate with, like, other High Elf factions. Um, so you you kind of have to make your way on Nagarond or you get wrecked. Um his, his faction is called, like, Nagarith or something like that. And uh, the reason I like him is he's a very missile-focused guy. He brings a special unit with him called Shadow Walkers, which are a lot like uh, the Wood Elf Way Watchers, though they're a little bit worse. Um, because, well, they're, they're kind of a little bit worse and a little bit better in some ways. Um, and uh, and he, d he has the default Skaven stance of stalking um, and an underway equivalent called, like, the Shadow Realm or whatever. Um, that really like spice up the flavor of his campaign. So I'm having a lot of fun with his campaign. Uh, I also have a Norske campaign. I also have a, a, a Karakadrin campaign. And then I also have a Tomb Kings campaign that is just like insanely like hard. Uh, Tomb Kings function in a way that I am just not built to play Total War. Um, and it is wrecking me and I'm having a really tough time with it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that is, those are, those are my Total War updates for any of you people who are paying attention to this podcast for my updates like on the ongoing <laughs> saga of, of what Total War Warhammer plays like at any individual time. Um, so, yeah, that's mostly it. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's, my, that's my big thing this week. That's fair. Um, I uh, the, the big thing for me is, is I'm still playing a Warframe. I've gotten a couple of our friends into it. Friends of the cast, Zao and Enoch, have, have started on their Warframe experience. Oh, boy. Um. And I, it's, it's just good fucking fun, right? So this is weird. So I, al I also got back onto Destiny 2 for a little bit because I have the expansion pass for Warmind. Uh, and Warmind's a better expansion than Curse of Osiris, like hands down. It's still not great, but it's good. Um, they announced the year two stuff, which I'm somewhat excited for. Um, I think that's all cool. Uh, but, um, in, uh, what, what was I going to say? Um, uh, the, the funny thing is, is Warframe has, is all about this like very quick movement. Like you slide, you jump, uh, you you shoot, and you all this. And uh, I keep trying to do it in Destiny, and you can't because it's just the game is just not as fast paced. Uh -huh. um, but when I jump into Destiny, I I can't shake the feeling that like the gunplay just feels so much better, and everything just feels so much more like AAA, right? Um, and that that's like a real feel, like like a real kind of like thing that you feel. When it, it's this really weird situation where I feel like. Warframe does have their obviously have a ton of differences, but at like kind of like a very base level, it feels like Destiny has three Warframes, 
but they're all like very well polished. Um, whereas Warframe has 36 Warframes. Um, so there's just like a lot more variety there. And I like them both for different reasons. Um, but, uh, but Warframe, Warframe's just been so much fun for the past couple weeks. Um, I encourage you guys at home and you buddy, uh, to jump into it. I, you know, man, I am super into Total War, but I could definitely see myself getting into Warframe. I have five or six more, I can't remember, Mage Towers to do in Warcraft, um, and uh, and I've been like doing a little bit of like off and on of that stuff. I've also been playing a bunch more uh, Hearthstone. Hearthstone has gotten to a point that is, I don't know how comically amusing it is, but pretty comically amusing. Um, where um, the the meta has kind of slowed down to such a to such a point that like a lot of the decks that win are just like the greediest fucking like value decks like dude arch archbishop archbishop benedictus is like a really well played card it's probably one of the defining cards in the in like the current tier one or two priest deck um huh because the deck is just a a fatigue deck <laughs> it's a fatigue, a fatigue deck where you archbishop benedictus and you just sit there and keep like psychic screaming away your opponent's minions um, you use what it's called. Um, so, do you know the do you know the priest quest? Um, the priest quest is summon seven death rattle minions, um, and you get a, a minion, a five mana eight eight with taunt called Amara that says set your health total to eighty, right, um, or to forty. I'm sorry. So it is very useful in like a Reno Jackson way, where like when you get your health super low, you drop Amara, boom, you're back up to forty, right. But on top of that, there's another card called Zola the Guardian, or Zola the Gorgon, where Zola, um, her battle cry, you just choose a random, you or you choose another minion, uh, and you add a, another copy of it to your hand. So you play, so you play Amara, and then you Zola your Amara, so you have a second Amara, um, and it's just like you have to burn through like 120, you know, health essentially. Um, plus like any, any individual healing the, the priest might have anything else like that. Um, so it's just like, so that's like one of the decks that's around. It's also a really interesting meta because it's one of the first metas where every class is competitive. Um, every class, according to the tempo storm meta snapshots has a tier one or tier two deck. Um, and there's a lot of decks that are, um, there's a lot of decks that are specifically kind of, uh, like rock, paper, scissorsy in a way. Um, so, like, for instance, there's a deck like Token Druid, which makes a bunch of 1-1 Wisps, but then uses a card called Soul of the Forest to say all of your monsters have Death Rattle Summon a 2-2. So, it's tough to board wipe that, because if you board wipe the Wisps, you just get a bunch of 2-2s, right? Um, Warrior has a really good answer in Warpath, right? Because you Warpath is deal one damage to every, anything in Echo. And so you Warpath three times, you deal one to all the Wisps, all the 2-2s two, two spawn, and then you do one damage to all the 2-2s two, twice. Uh, also, Priest can Psychic Scream the 1-1s one, into, into the deck, which is, which is a really useful option. Um, but... Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, yeah, there was a, there was like a really crazy HCT um, semifinal match that was Token Druid versus Token Druid, where one of the like one of the defining cards of Token Druid is Spreading Plague, which summons a one five for every minion your opponent controls, basically. Um, and in a Token Druid mirror, nobody can ever put down Wisps because the moment you put down Wisps, the enemy just Spreading Plagues. 
right? And so it's a fatigue matchup where you don't want to draw any cards. Um, and it was like watching like it was like chess. It was like watching chess. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's 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 Hearthstone, I guess. Yeah, no man, that, that sounds super interesting. I, I've been playing a ton of Hearthstone. When I've been playing card games, I've been playing a little bit of MTG Arena, which is just Magic the Gathering but online. How much Magic the Gathering is in M MTG Arena? Um, I think it's everything at this point. Really, like the whole everything. Um, everything current. Do they have uh? Do they have a like between? Um, do they have an ability to like trade between characters? No. Um, I don't know if they, at least not yet. I don't know if they ever will. Um, just because like, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of like a card. The TCG developers like wet dream to like make people have to buy cards from you if they want cards every time. Um, so I can see them just not having trading. Um, uh, but it's also in beta, so that might come. Right? I'm actually a, a little surprised by that because uh, I'm pretty sure if you will... Well, because if you allowed trading and then said... I think this is what they did with Magic the Gathering Online, MTGO. You could trade and Wizards would get a cut of every trade that happened. How do you get a cut of a of like oh do you only trade for currency? Yeah, you, or I'm sorry, like currency, right? Like you, yeah. I could buy it off you, like from an auction house sort of thing. Uh, and every time that happens, I, I take a cut of the. Okay, of the that currency. could work. Um, that could work. And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, Hearthstone obviously came out way later than Magic: The Gathering Online, but it was like a pretty big deal that that trading didn't uh, didn't exist in in Hearthstone. So, so I'm pretty sure that that the economy as it is would, would like blow up if you had trading just because um, the way you could you, the way you 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 build cards like the construction mechanic is you have these things called wild cards and the wild cards are of a particular rarity like you've got common wild cards and uncommon wild cards and you could trade those cards in one for one for any card of the same rarity so like you find like a really valuable rare card like if there's like a really valuable rare card in the set or a mythic rare card in the set you just spend your mythic rares to get to get that really powerful card and auction off for a ton of money i think that would really fuck with the economy um which obviously is is, is bad um because like you're no longer using your mythic rare wild cards to build the mythic rares that you want you're using them to build the highest value one and then using the money you make off of that to get the ones that you want right right um, right yeah um but I'm, I, I don't know what they're going to do. They, I don't know if they've announced anything about it. Um, one thing I did want to talk about briefly, um, I didn't think I had enough for a, a full episode on it, but I want to talk a little bit about with Destiny 2 again about, um, I think I've put a finger on like what feels so bad about some of it. And I think a big part of it is that they are not great at designing open areas. Um, and it's this really particular feeling that I that that I just managed to put my finger on after having run a bunch of war mine stuff, which is Warframe. Uh, you mean war? No, war mine. War the war mind is a thing in Destiny Two, right? Oh, okay. What what is that? So um, it's from Destiny One. There's this there's this computer called Rasputin, which is basically a big old weapon of war. Um, um, there was a piece of it in Russia, and there's a lot of it. Like the the mainframe is in Mars. And you go, and you have to go basically untether it so it can go fuck up people for you. Um, there's a little bit more to it, but that's that's basically it. Um, it's it, it's a big war computer. Um, but uh, the, the the problem that I'm that I, that I've that I've kind of identified is that 
Bungie is really good at designing kind of like levels that you're, you're you mean to pass through once, right? Like you've got like interesting turns and corners. Um, uh, for instance, like there's like this area where you know you're, you're going to the to the the Warframe course. You have to like go through um, a big open area. Like you have to go through like a, a research area, and then you turn a corner, and you have to kind of like crouch and walk through a pipe, and then crawl over like some scaffolding, and that feels really cool. Um, the problem is is because they've they 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 don't make and it makes the 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 world feel big because like oh this is like one path through what is ostensibly a bigger area right the problem is is when you go back and do any of the other content you it it reuses everything right so it's like you go through that weird little like through a tunnel over a piece of scaffolding like three or i went through it three or four times in the course of like one afternoon of playing right it's like oh, there's actually nothing else here, right? It's just this one path. And so the thing that I thought implied a larger area is actually indicative of a very smaller area and in such a way that it really highlights the problem, right? Like, right, right, right. if it was like a little bit more open and not this very specific set of events, I maybe wouldn't notice it as much, but because I'm going through the same fucking tunnel every time, um, it's it's a problem. And I think that that's 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 kind of their their biggest problem in terms of in, in terms of like making the game feel small is they need to be better at making wide open open world areas. I think that could go a long way in, in solving the problem. And it was, it was just a thing that, that occurred to me um, while I was playing. It's like, man, I'm really going through like like and it's been true for every other part of the game that I've played too. I'm going through the same area six times in a fucking row. And it, it's 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 the same thing, and it's supposed to be a whole fucking planet, and it's like four or five recognizable paths if I'm lucky per planet. Um, but again, the gameplay super like the the gunplay is super super solid, um, and it's and it's neat. It's just it's it's too small. Um, the the world is too small. There's there's not enough content. It's still that way. Um, and they don't do themselves any favors with having exclusives for PlayStation. Um. Uh, something I found out the other day that I wasn't aware of is that um, the PlayStation gets an exclusive strike, right? And it's the only strike that isn't a reused um, that isn't a reused piece of content from the story mode. Wow. Um, yeah, and like it's timed exclusive, but like like uh, Xbox and PC players aren't gonna like we are going to get the year one um, content when year two comes out. Um, so you know, shitty business practices. Yeah, I mean, are, are, I mean, yeah, I mean, aren't we gonna get more? Uh, like, isn't isn't there like a trilogy before? Who knows? 2022 like, or something like something that? Something like that. Yeah. Part of the the like the contracts. I don't know, man. How the mighty have fallen. Yeah. How Activision have ruined the mighty. <laughs> so, uh, we're, we're we're going into uh, E3 week. Um, uh, do you have anything? We're, we're gonna do a, a full recap. Or like I don't know, E three impressions or something next week. Um, do you have anything you're looking forward to, buddy? For it, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what's up with Fallout seventy six. Um, I think Fallout seventy six is. Uh, have you have you read any of the stuff that Jason Schreier has said about it? It's like a big deal in the Fallout subreddit. Uh, I I what were they were those the rumors that it's going to be like an open world survival game? Yeah, he basically said um, he tweeted out like anybody who who wants this to be a single player 
you know, open world RPG is going to be disappointed, right? Um, because he his sources uh, said that it was going to be, uh, you know, like online and multiplayer, but there was going to be like single player content, and that it would probably. I don't think he he compared it to the division. This is just kind of me saying i bet it i bet it resembles the division or something kind of along those lines maybe even you know uh maybe even a destiny um but so yeah so i'm excited to see what they have in store i like you know my 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 antipathy to fallout 4 notwithstanding um i like bethesda quite a bit um i wish that they were announcing elder scrolls 6 because i think Skyrim is super great, and I want to see what the next iteration on that looks like, besides, like, Skyrim for my fucking, you know, iPhone, but, um... Yeah, I... Have you heard the, uh... The, the, there was one theory that, that was on 4chan, more of a joke, is, uh... You know, Vault 76 is actually... The, the, the gimmick for Vault 76 was that they, they forced people to play a, a video game over and over... Oh until <laughs> until the bomb stopped falling and your character sits down in the chair and then you know screen opens up on a wintry scene with a cart pulling you along yeah. as a prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, Todd Howard's done it again. Um, I'm 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 excited to hear more about Fallout 76. I'm excited for the Bethesda conference because part of me wants to hope that the reason that they pre-announced Fallout 76 was so they could do like us like the 76 will come out in like the summer. And that, like, uh, they'll have, like, a like a Elder Scrolls 6 announcement for November at, like, the actual um, invent, uh, convention. I'm not super hopeful for that, but, you know, a boy can dream. A boy can dream. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that they have, you know, so much of their time and attention going to, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the Wolfenstein and the Doom uh, franchises. You know, we've gotten two Wolfensteins in the space uh between elder scrolls and i mean it's i i don't know it's just it's crazy to me that they that fallout that skyrim and then fallout set these huge huge kind of like records or whatever um but they're not is, is i don't it, know is it bethesda that, that develops wolfenstein i know it's it's id for doom i know a lot yeah, of people maybe, are expecting yeah, it you're doom right maybe sequel. it's not bethesda maybe it's somebody else um so so uh, yeah yeah, um, I will say I'm excited for I'm excited for more information about Total War, uh, specifically Total War Three Kingdoms. Um, this stuff is coming out around uh, E3, and it actually looks pretty cool because uh, so one of the new systems seems to be like kind of retinues, where it's not just a general that you carry into your army, but you um, you have a general right, but then you have a couple of lieutenants on your like on your roster kind of like the hero units in like warhammer or whatever um but you assign your units to those lieutenants um which i think is a really cool really dynamic system that kind of gets away from the traditional uh structure of these total war games and i'm really interested to see what that kind of looks like um so yeah yeah that, 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 that does sound neat um i'll say that i am um having played as much warframe as i have recently I'm interested to see what, ha what what Anthem is going to become, especially given EA's kind of like very visible, furious backpedaling away from uh, from microtransactions. Um, I kind of like Anthem 
from from like a like from what we've seen of it, looks like it's probably it's going to be a Warframe style game. So I'm I'm, I'm very interested to to see what what, what that'll be. Yep. Um, yeah, I always feel like games like Anthem have a tough time because Anthem uh, is coming out after. I mean, Destiny Two has had a couple of design cycles, like DLC cycles and stuff like that. And so I feel like it's always tough for a game like that to kind of like come out and crack the mold open, um, and make and like establish itself in a world where everything else has kind of years of content uh, already. Yeah. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll see. That that um, that <clears throat> conference will have happened by the time this episode goes up, so we'll, uh, we'll have that information about that. Uh, for yeah, I, know, I really don't know too much else. I mean, I don't follow, like, the super big publishers. Um, I mean, I'm excited for the Nintendo Direct, but that's because I, you know... I'm a huge Nintendo fanboy. Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's because I wouldn't I wouldn't be a fanboy if they didn't make the best products, buddy. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that is like how I feel about like the Total War and like Bethesda and Blizzard and stuff like that. There's also a Devolver conference. That's always hilarious. So I'm excited for that just from like a, a hilarity standpoint. I am I am interested in the Devolver country. Yeah, I, in a way, I almost feel like my favorite developers because like Paradox doesn't really do much in E3. They have their own convention. Blizzard, obviously, has BlizzCon, its own convention. Um, so it doesn't really do anything at E3. Uh, and, yeah, I guess I, you know, I still am a pretty big Bioware fan. I'm hoping that they announce a, <clears throat> like, Dragon Age 4 kind of thing. Um, and we can get into the, and we can get into some of that. Yeah. Uh, I obviously can't comment about any of the Square Enix stuff. Oh, right. Uh, right because right. that would be improper. Yeah. Uh, though, fun fact, I'm pretty sure my computer at work might get might get used because uh, uh, you know there's going to be stations to play like Final Fantasy 14 and stuff like that, and our computers are are like built to run that stuff. So we might run, you know, old old workstations so that uh, so that everybody at E3 can get a like a nice a nice powerful uh, a nice powerful machine. Neat. Yeah, I, I think the big one to watch for E3 is going to be um, is going to be if we get any news about uh, Cyberpunk, uh, the CD Projekt Red game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's another good one. Yeah, um, but I think that's about all we have time for. Uh, if you'd like to tell us what you're excited about for E3, um, uh, you can write us or or talk to us about what you think about building monsters for Pathfinder. You can write us at uh, some groups play games at gmail .com or podcast at some groups play games .com. Um, actually, if, if anybody is, is, is listening and wants to share your thoughts about E3, um, before our episode next week, feel free to write in. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll take, we'll take it into consideration and talk about it. You, you guys are on notice. You've, you've got, you've got the time. Uh, <laughs> uh but yeah. Um, if you want to follow us on, uh, follow our D and D adventure, you can follow us at twitch.tv slash play games. Um, and, uh, you could, you should comment on SoundCloud, write us on iTunes, uh, do all that great stuff. Um, I think that's everything I had, buddy. Do you have anything else you want to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>